for yet another week of Behind the Lens. And this is, I'm very, very excited about today's show. I'm very excited. Um, as many of you know, if you're following, uh, following us on Twitter, BTL Radio Show, or on Facebook, Behind the Lens, or my, uh, my Twitter, Movie Shark D, or Movie Shark Deblore, um, you're gonna know that this is a film, this is, today's show is custom made for all the filmmakers out there. So David Spaltro, I hope you're listening. Ned Airbar, I hope you're listening. And a bunch of you other people uh, that I know. Because I am thrilled to have sitting next to me supervising sound editor and sound designer with the Formosa Group, Scott Hecker. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I'm just, I'm just so excited. I'm excited to be here as well. This, very cool. This is very thrilling. And of course, in addition to Scott, you people have heard me talk about this other young gentleman for almost two years now. Uh, one of my favorite future filmmakers from L.A. Film Festival. Now, the star of Ira Sack's new film, Little Men, Theo Taplitz, is going to be calling in live at the midway point of the show. Um, and don't be surprised if Theo has a question for you, Scott. Cool. Maybe he can teach me something, too. Uh, so. You know, that he is watching him and watching his films. It is just, I thought he couldn't top what he did last year at LAFF, what he submitted. A film, a short called Serial Killer. Oh, wow. I haven't seen that. Did special effects. Um, it was a kid having breakfast, uh, like Fruit Loop cereal. And then eyeballs and hands start coming up through, the, cool through the ball. And he has an annoying younger brother. And mom yells out, you know, feed your brother breakfast. So he gets a bright idea. I'm going to feed him breakfast. He can have this cereal. <laughs> and it's, oh, there's a lot of sound at play as he walks out the door, and then you just hear this shriek from his brother because this hand has come back up out of the cereal. Wow. And Big Brother gets a big smile on his face. And he has the most incredible parents. They actually, for the effects, they let him cut a hole in the kitchen table. Wow. Mom actually got underneath the table to be the hand. Sound like Come, they really nurture everything he needs to. They really be successful, do. So and younger brother Nicholas, he he ends up being in the films as well. Sweet. It's a whole family thing. But the creativity that I see in some of these young filmmakers now, it's amazing. Oh yeah, out of the minds of babes. It's like get it get it while it's fresh and original, you know. Yeah, and it's so important. You know, he's actually calling. He's on vacation with his family right now, but he wanted to call. Sweet. So Very cool. that's that's fun. But of course, before we, Scott can now participate in our weekly, our Brian's weekly update for us. Do you have that ready? Yes, I do. I have it ready because I don't stop looking at this countdown. This um, is an important countdown, Scott. Okay. Very important. This countdown, uh, it was birthed out of a joke and it became a weekly segment and now I take it seriously and it's the thing that I look forward to every Monday besides the other things I have going on in the afternoon. But Star Wars Episode Eight, our countdown, we keep looking at the dates and like I said, every week for some reason, I'm trying to figure it out, it's seven days less than the previous countdown. So as soon as I get that information, I'll get back to you. But we have 493 days, 12 hours, 55 minutes and as soon as I'm done speaking, 50 seconds to go. Sweet. Until the release of Star Wars Episode Eight, But if you're impatient like I am, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, that comes out in 129 days, 12 hours, and 55 minutes to go. So I'm probably going to line up soon, actually. That's getting a little too close for me. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, and, you know, that's a perfect segue for having Scott here because those of you, when you see the video later this week, you're going to notice some vintage 
VHS tapes here, as well as some DVDs and some brand new Blu-rays. And one of the little, one of these gems of mine from my collection, an original, The Empire Strikes Back. And guess who was the Foley editor on that film? None other than Scott Hecker. My humble beginnings back in the day. It was really great because um, Lucasfilm did all the sound up there, but they didn't have a Foley stage yet. And uh, Bob Rutledge, who I got my start in the business from, uh, was an amazing sound supervisor and uh, Foley artist as well. Back in the day, supervising sound editors, a lot of them did their own Foley work, but he was amazing. So they hired him down here, and he hired John Resch, who at that time was relatively unknown, but John now is like, you know, the godfather of Foley uh, amongst a couple other um, great artists. But, um, yeah, I got to be Foley editor, and I actually did a little Foley. I was actually Chewbacca. Um, I had to wear furry boots, and when they were inside the mouth of the monster, you didn't know where they were at at that moment. Bob went out and bought a huge side of beef, brought it on the Foley stage, poured egg yolk all over it, and I had to be held up because it's so slippery by someone on both sides, and I was doing Chewbacca's footsteps. And uh, so that was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And if you can only imagine after an hour of doing that, what the Foley stage smelled like. It was amazing. I know what my kitchen smells like. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And just when I thought today couldn't get any better. Oh, that's that's fabulous. It's fun. fun. It was fun. It was definitely fun. So now as you sit here today and you see your little contribution into helping to find Chewbacca, yeah, at the time, I'm sure that they've uh, come a long way and done many different things, but um, that was that was uh, one of the beginnings. So it was very very fun. Okay, so why haven't it, hasn't anybody? Uh, there you go. <laughs> I am so sorry. I'm so late with that drop. <laughs> <laughs> so how come nobody's invited you back to work on any of, of the other Star Wars films? Because they do all of them up up north, and, and now they have a Foley stage. Oh yeah. And and they actually, John Resch, who I just mentioned, um, he just moved up there last year. They built a brand new Foley stage um, up there, and it's just gorgeous and uh, top of the notch. And he made a big move, and he's like, he's he's not getting any younger. And I was shocked that he made such a move. He moved his family up there, and wow, it's very cool. So yeah, they wow. do all that up there. When I moved here, I was working for Bob Rutledge. I started working with for Bob Rutledge, and he was working on Star Wars. Uh, he was one of the four sound editors on that because they did most of that, believe it or not, down here in L.A. But mm-hmm. Ben Burt was up north designing most of the sound design elements. But um, they actually did most of the uh, sound post-production down here and mixed mm-hmm. it down here. And then Empire Strikes Back was the first uh, Star Wars done. that was done 99% up there except for the Foley. Wow. So for those that are listening and they, they're not, they hear the term Foley bandied about all the time – Define Foley for the lay person. Foley is, um, in post-production sound, uh, it's something that we have to do 100% of all the movement, a character's movement. Primarily, it's footsteps and his body and cloth movement. Anything that each character picks up, touches, works with, diddles with, we cover it 100%. And people go, well, why would you do that when you're recording all the sound on production set or location? 
And truthfully, um, the microphones are primarily uh, destined to get the dialogue. That's mm-hmm. the primary focus. So a lot of times you don't hear a character's footsteps or his body movements. And even if you do, we need all of it later for what we call an M&E version, the music and effects version that gets sent off to foreign territories uh, so that they can apply their language to the film. And so when we strip out all the English language, whatever footsteps and movement is recorded with the dialogue, it's all gone. Mm -hmm. So the Foley is in post-production is the re-recording of all the footsteps and props and movement of the characters. And you record it track by track, all the footsteps of all the characters, then you do a prop pass and cover all the movement and the props and and whatnot. And that's Foley. And I think Foley uh, started to get more popular because a lot of tourists would come to the Universal (laughs) tour. And like back in the 80s, I worked on uh, Miami Vice and that was the first Foley demonstration that they did. For which you got an Emmy nomination. Yeah, I did. That was fun working with Michael Mann on that. And uh, so I think, you know, people from Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Boston, Florida, they'd come and watch this Foley demonstration and it looks fun. It's just, it looks really fun and it looks easy. Um, I was talking to someone else about that, the notion of how easy it looks and you sort of parallel it with watching Tiger Woods play golf. You know, you'd sit there and watch him and it looks so easy and it's like, I'm going to go buy some golf clubs and go out and play golf, you know, and (laughs) there you are, you know, scratching the ball 25 yards at a time. That's how it is with Foley. It's super hard. I tried to do it myself. I did a little bit, like I said, on Empire Strikes Back and that was about it, but I was no good at it. I just wasn't good. My brother's amazing. Um, he's been doing that's been his whole career for the past 30 some years. So, um, I've got a lot of Foley in my life, um, so between it, my collaborations with my brother and the needs of each film that I work on. I was so. going to, I was going to say having a brother who is a master of Foley, is that the first person you'll go to? Especially, Absolutely. Especially on a low budget, no budget. You know, of course, not that you're doing low budget, no budgets anymore. I, I still do. Believe it or not, I like doing those films, you know, and I have holes in my schedule. If I can get in and figure out a way to do it, I love to help young filmmakers and projects that, you know, I feel passionate about. You know, it doesn't happen a lot, but I definitely fill, fill gaps in the schedule and with that kind of stuff. And it's fun. It keeps things fresh, you know. Because now, you know, you're working on these films that take a massive amount of time. Yes, you know, something like Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Destiny, even, you know, the time frame from Man of Steel. And that's in your capacity as a supervising sound editor. Right. Which is encompasses a lot more than doing Foley. Absolutely. Foley's just one aspect of, of the job. Um, it's my job to supervise the whole post-production sound team. And, um, and that includes dialogue editors, ADR editors, and the ADR is automated dialogue replacement that's done in post-production for uh, dialogue that's been compromised during production or if you need to record additional lines to help tell story or voiceover. Um, there's many different um, facets of doing ADR recording. And then obviously sound effects and sound design and then Foley. So there's there's quite a few facets that I supervise and I hire specialists in each of those endeavors. Mm. And as a team, um, we try to rock it. Now, you also do sound design. Now, is that do you incorporate that with the sound ed- supervising sound editing or would you do that separate and apart? Or do they kind of go hand in hand? They sort of go hand in hand, but um, 
I do try to like when I start on a film, I identify the needs of the film, and it, it you know part of my job is sort of like being a football coach. You have to figure out who's a good running back, who's a good quarterback, who's the, a good receiver. And so um, based on the needs of the film, I, I do have a core crew that I work with pretty regularly. But if I see something, I go, that guy is a weapons ac- expert. He loves weapons. He's recorded weapons. He lives and breathes the stuff. I'm going to get him to do all the gun battles in this film. And there's car nuts. You know, there's guys that are into cars, and they, they're always out recording cars. And so my job is to hire the best of the best people that are passionate as usual, mm-hmm. you know, it's mediocrity rules in this world. And <laughs> so we, we are always striving to rise above that and, and strive for excellence and unique flavors for films, things that people haven't heard. So, well, how beneficial for it was you to be able to find somebody in Batman versus Superman, because you came up with new sounds for the Batmobile. Yes. And weren't you using a Shelby? Part of it is a Shelby, yeah, a Series One, and at that at that time um, when we actually recorded, it was a prototype, and we went to um, Las Vegas. John Fasal uh, went and recorded that at the Shelby on the Shelby track, and so, and you're going like, why would you use a Shelby recorded like you know that long ago? But it was a great fidelity recording. We recorded on DAT, and we've got libraries, and we've got the um, you know, ability to go out and record whatever we want. And I listened to so many engines. We were looking, listening to dragsters and hot rods and just pow- other powerful cars, V8s. And we were just thinking about Bruce Wayne, and he's this sophisticated, sleek guy. And it would be too easy to put a powerful monster car in there, but mm-hmm. it wouldn't be classy and sleek. And so we wanted it to sound powerful, but refined. Mm-hmm. And that engine is super powerful. It's got a very powerful feel to it, but it's got a, a sophistication to it. It's pretty sleek. And the predominant sound that you actually hear in the film is one of the elements of the production Batmobile. Um, yeah, John went to Detroit oh. and recorded the vehicle. I didn't want to spend the money to go there to record the vehicle unless it was going to yield positive results. And a mm-hmm. lot of times production cars, you don't really – they don't have them for – you right. know, their sound really is just how it looks. And obviously the Batman or the Batmobile is cool as hell looking. But I thought, okay, they said it had a cool line that they had to invert the transmission to get it to maneuver the way that they wanted to. So effectively when they're driving forward because the transmission is inverted and reversed, it sounds like it's in reverse. reverse. So it created this whine. So we had John mic that transmission specifically, and we did. We recorded the engine and the sound coming out of the tailpipes, but we knew we knew that that was a cool sound, and especially with the little processing, um, it would really yield great results. And it's sort of a high pitch sound, so we knew that that would cut through a lot of the music. We knew it was going to end up, mm-hmm. you know, in an exciting, you know, car chase or whatever in the Batmobile chase when. Uh, trying to elude the the uh the semi truck but um so anyway we came up with this cool conglomeration between the shelby and this production uh wine from the car and it's just a great cool sound no one's got it who's who's recorded a car in reverse you know it's yeah an inverted tranny is, is just uh, that blows my mind and i still don't know technically why they had to invert it but they did and it worked and god bless them hey if it works 
Absolutely. If it, if it ain't break, yeah. don't fix it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was fun. That was it was a good combination, and it wasn't a wasted effort to go all that way to Detroit and spend the money to send John there and, and record it. So it was a win-win. Yeah, and a lot of people, I know that they think that, okay, on these huge budget movies like this, that money is no object. But you do have to be very cost-conscious especially when you get down to the technical aspects of the film because when yeah. they're going to start trimming money <laughs> that's that's the, those are the budgets that are going to going to oh, see the yeah. dollars dwindle oh yeah i mean working on zach's films um i've been afforded they've been very generous and they they ask me you know come come up with a reasonable budget and try to figure out what you need to do a great job and um you know, we never have too much money, but we've always had a, a good, healthy budget. It does need to be managed and managed tightly. I mean, it evaporates quickly yeah. if you waste manpower and have people coming in. And, you know, it's that's a lot of my job is juggling the crew and figuring out who needs to be doing what at any given point in time. But um, thank God, you know, that they've been – Warner Brothers and Zach is so organized too – and um, he usually comes in on schedule, on budget. Um, on a lot of films, for sound editors, they're not so lucky. A lot of yeah. film go over budget in the production. They go over schedule. And if there's a hard release date, guess whose schedule and budget gets shortened? <laughs> Moi. <laughs> so, um, no, I really appreciate that. And I have been on the other side where all of a sudden they come to you and they said, Scott, you know, we're over budget and we're running out of time. And can you pull the rabbit out of your hat for less money than you know, you need. And you do it. You figure out something. That's that's our job is to figure out how to get there. And sometimes you're like, how are we going to do this? It's impossible. And I guess it's the same feeling anyone looking, you know, at the top of Mount Everest before they start climbing. Mm -hmm. But one day you're up there planting the flag. So, yeah, something you said that I, I find very interesting is you mentioned Bruce Wayne and the sophistication element and the sophistication of the engine for the Batmobile. And immediately I think about the Batwing and you went with a Tesla. Yeah, part of part of it is if, an electric if, car because we wanted if to that, avoid. If that isn't sophistication, yeah. environmentalist, you know, philanthropy. Yeah. Well, the obvious go to would be to use jets and things. It's a flying. You want it to be powerful, and there are a few jet tracks in there, but it is not from stem to stern jet effects. Um, we tried to stay away from it well, on a big close up dynamic buy. You just need that powerful sweetener. So sometimes we would process different types of jets and hopefully some of the less likely that you haven't heard as much of others. And mm -hmm. um, so there's a few jet effects, but mostly it is based on uh, electric car, Tesla, and even a couple, um, one other, and I forget what brand it was, but it was one of the, well, we had a Volt, a Chevy Volt in there mm -hmm. too. But electric cars make amazing sounds really unusual sound. So it was exciting to use that stuff. And then we also, um, our sound designer, Chuck Michael, who focused on the Batwing and the Batmobile, mm -hmm. um, we decided we wanted to give it a character. I don't know if you noticed this low guttural g -g 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 after it would go by, and it was like a process bull roar. I don't know if you've ever um, heard of those bull roars that you twirl in the air. and they Oh, make those. The, yeah. Really, really Kids cool. Kids love using them. They cool have, sounds. Yeah, they have to ban them on playgrounds. Yeah. Really cool. So um, as usual, we're just always trying to, you know, come up with some new flavor, you know, that someone hasn't heard. Like, wow, what was that? I know when I go to a movie, I just, I love it. I get, when I get tickled the few times that it happens when you hear something you haven't heard before. Yeah, how difficult and challenging is it? 
at this stage of the game with technology what being what it is with all of these audio programs and libraries out there that are you know canned that I get emails all the time for them. Ooh, here, download 100,000 sound effects, things right. like that. How challenging is it for you to come up with new sounds? Um, it is challenging because, again, you want to be original and not regurgitate the same, you know, typical library sounds. I mean, that's what's really embarrassing if if some movies I'll, I'll go and watch and I'll hear a sound and I can almost recite the program number on the disc it's from, you know. It's, um, not a lot, thank God. People have gotten um, a lot better about that. Um, back in the day, people relied on sound effects libraries a lot more. And now, as the years have gone by, everyone's out recording stuff religiously, you know, for every film as much as they can, as much as their time and budget allows. So, um, But as far as creating new sounds, that's the fun of it. It's like sonic alchemy to me. I just love playing with stuff with my crew. We'll just sit and listen to wild sounds. We'll go through the library and go, what does that sound like? You know, And we go, oh, that's cool. We could use that for this. And you're always trying to think bigger and um, stronger. I mean, any normal sound you would think like, well, if you see a certain object in a film, well, let's go out and record that. And my first inkling is no. Let's not record that. Let's think of something like 10 times bigger that sort of emanates a similar type of sound mm-hmm. so that it totally works. It's bigger than life. And in film, you know, for audiences, it does need to be bigger than life because now with visual effects, um, the visual effects teams are creating all these amazing images that without sound sort of looks silly. You know, it's like half of... Um, you know, suspending your disbelief when you're watching a lot of these Mm -hmm. films, especially like Batman, Superman, or high visual effect count, um, without, you know, impressive sound, it's, it's not all it can Mm -hmm. be. So, so the the bigger the visuals get, the bigger the sound has to get. There's a lot. Yes. And, and there's, it's just a lot of experimentation. It really, I always talk about, it's like playing in a sonic sandbox. And then that's the fun is you just play with something and all of a sudden it's like a chemist, you know, and put two chemicals together and it explodes in his face. And you go, whoa, that was cool. You know? And sometimes you don't even know what you did. It's like, what did, what did we, what sound was that? <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'm glad you mentioned the sonic toolbox because everybody talks about the filmmaker's toolbox and they play with all the tools in the toolbox. But the sound, sound has its own toolbox with Absolutely. all kinds of cool things in it. Sure. Are there any like real go-to things in your sonic toolbox? There's so many tools out there, and truthfully, as wonderful as the technology is, my my thing maybe it's because I'm I'm older school, but I always do, I don't like to let the technology get in the way of the creative process because a lot of people are just obsessed with the gear and how does it work? You know, it's like no, how is it going to help you make mm-hmm. this sound? What are what are we going to use and need to do this? So I try to keep it as simple as possible. We Pro Tools obviously is everywhere in our industry. It right. started in the music industry, and that's a, what our main tool. But as far as software for a sound designer, I mean, no one can do without Serato's pitch and time. And uh, now for dialogue editing and some uh, vocal processing, um, uh, there's there's just so many so many things that like um, processing Batman's voice, we use Flux EarCam. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't just want to pitch it down, but we got this really sophisticated um, uh, Flux makes it. It's called EarCam. And we I wanted to, 
you know, make it different than um, than the prior Batman iterations. I sort of had a problem intelligibility wise, actually, when I was watching the the prior um, Batman films. And I think part of it was because I think what they had Christian Bale doing was like th- sort of throwing his voice in mm-hmm. production. And then they probably tried to process that a little bit. And before we started on Batman Superman, we determined that it might be better um, that, you know, he just speak in his regular voice right. and then process it. So you get a clean, a clean mm-hmm. signal to process. And I think you know, from the feedback that we've gotten, we got a lot of feedback online about how cool it sounded and it was intelligible. And that's that's the thing that's that stood out for me was the fact that I could actually understand what he was saying. Yes, the words were enunciated. Yes, and yeah. you could hear the pronunciation. Whereas in the prior iterations with Christian, and no offense to Christian, whom yeah. I adore. Oh, absolutely. And who has a, oh, his performance was amazing. And he, he has a fabulous voice on his own. Oh, I know. Um, but even when you think back to Kilmer or even Keaton with throwing the voices and the machinations that were done, you would miss so much of the dialogue. Yes. Because you could not. Because if you're starting off with someone sounding like this and then you process it to go lower, it just gets fuzzier and a bit murkier. Hey, they did a great job. It sounded great. We just wanted to do something different. And and I I was really happy with the results. So um, with that being said, there's a lot of um, different tools. Um, There's sound toys and GRM makes some interesting um, software and plugins. Um, Low ender, you know, to get the beef into a lot of you know ordinary sounds is mm-hmm. used quite a bit. Um, there's a world of stuff out there. It's crazy. There's so much. It's hard because you got to really focus, and a lot of it does the same thing. It's just you know different companies making things that do the of same course. thing. So um, it's just really about, and you could spend thousands of dollars collecting this stuff, and you end up going back to the same five things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's with anything. Yeah. That's that's with anything. I'll get new software for something or, you know, new to, new toys and I still I go back to the same to the same thing, which is why I always go back to my classic VHS tapes. There you go. Nothing yeah. like analog. <laughs> well, I think we're going to take a short break right now and we'll be right back to behind the lens. Hi, this is Terry Crews, actor, former football player, game show host, father of five, and all-around big dude. I'm also an expert on drama. I know all kinds of drama. There's the good kind that comes with having a house full of kids. There's the bad kind, like season-ending injuries. There's the necessary kind, like having an agent in Hollywood. And there's silly drama, like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your high school diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. Or text DIPLOMA to 97779. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop to opt out. Touch DIPLOMA to 97779. And leave the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. 
Hey, I'm Brian. And this is DJ Harris. And we are the hosts of the Nothing In Particular podcast show. Live almost every Monday at 5 p.m. Where we discuss comic books, video games, movies, box office reviews, anything in the news, you name it. It's Nothing In Particular. And sometimes we'll convince somebody to come in studio with us. And those people include artists, writers, directors, musicians, social workers, you name it. So that's almost every Monday at 5 p.m. Nothing, Nothing In, in particular, particular podcast show. No, I'm not doing that. Yeah, come no, on. I told you what no, it's, it's awesome. I've got to find another way to end this commercial. Yeah, well, this is perfect. When you were a little kid and you thought about what you wanted to be, teaching was at the top of your list. But things changed. And as you got older, teaching didn't seem like the best option anymore. So you're thinking you'll be something else. But what would your 12-year-old self say? Now you want to be a doctor. You don't think teachers save lives? 25 at a time. An actress? Try playing a different role every time the bell rings. How about a scientist? Ever heard of physics? Chemistry? Who do you think teaches that? Teachers today are breaking down obstacles, finding innovative ways to instill old lessons, and taking learning far beyond the four walls of the classroom. It's time to recognize that great things are happening in teaching and put it back on your list. Don't try to convince yourself otherwise. You had it right the first time. Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more. Teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. And we are back to Behind the Lens, and I'm thrilled to have sitting to my right the incredible supervising sound editor and sound designer with Formosa Group, the Oscar-nominated Scott Hecker. Thank you. I'm having fun. I know. Yes. I don't get to do this very often, so I'm not not super great at it, but I am having fun. Well, you know, if you're really bored and you really feel the need to, you know, play with a mixing board or something right now, I'm sure Brian would let you, you know, have a hand at his in there, you know. I'm not a very good mixer, actually. Uh Uh-oh. You can give me a few tracks at a time, but, you know, Uh it's sound creation and what I'm into, so. Uh Uh-oh. I I leave the mixing in the capable hands of (laughs) professionals that do it every day. A good friend of mine said... You know, when you're working in a world of professionals, it's like if you don't do it every day, Scott, you suck compared to someone who does, you know, so. And that's and that's pretty much how it is with everything. Yep. You know, you lose that muscle memory. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but I know it appears, I see a red light blinking, Brian. And so we're going to bring the, the wonderful Theo on cool. with us. I am thrilled to welcome this young man to the show. Hello, Theo Taplitz. Are you there? How are you, Theo? I'm doing really well, thank you. How how are you guys on the other end of this phone call? Oh, well, I am fine. And as you know, supervising sound editor, sound designer who just finished up with Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, Scott Hecker is sitting here with me, too. Theo, great to meet you over the air. Nice to meet you, too. Hi. I mean, this is great. I've got a veteran filmmaker and a. A future filmmaker, almost a, a veteran at this point. So I, I'm, I got the best of both worlds here today with you guys. So are you having? Mm-hmm. I, you're still on vacation. Are you having fun? Yeah, I'm having loads of fun. Well, I'm glad you took time out to call in today because today we get Theo Taplitz, filmmaker, and Theo Taplitz star of an Ira Sachs movie. <laughs> Did you ever think that you would be? Starring in an Iris Sachs movie? Um, 
And specifically in Iris Sack's film, um, I had not um, been aware of his uh, films beforehand, but uh, I, I got the audition through my agents. Um, and I, as soon as I got it, I, I looked into who this Iris Sachs guy was, and uh, I saw his film Love Strange, and I, I thought it was just mind-blowing. I mean, it was... Uh, it was naturalism in the way that I had never seen it portrayed uh, on the screen before. And um, it ju- I just got so uh, caught up with the characters, and I really liked them as as people. And, you know, I wanted to figure out what happened to them, and I, wa- I kind of wanted it all to work out for all of them. So uh, how is it for you, being a filmmaker yourself, when you're going to go work with somebody like Ira, do you also look at it as a learning experience for your own filmmaking skills in addition to your acting skills? Uh, yeah, I, I think that's exactly um, what, what I was thinking, what I was doing. Um, uh, obviously, um, I was there to act. Um, so Ira gave me a lot of uh, different pointers um, on my acting, which I'll take on for the rest of my career, such as less is more. Uh, he said, you know, never to push out the emotion. Um, just let it be natural and raw. Um, but he was also very supportive uh, for me to go around uh, and ask the crew different questions about, uh, you know, about lighting, about cinematography. I was always behind uh, the cinematographer Oscar wonder- asking questions about the Alexa and wondering about uh, dollies and such things like that. And I was, you know, behind the lighting people, wondering, like, about the mood lights and the three different points of lighting and, you know, stuff like that, which I I think uh, I've really learned from. So now you have this Academy Award-nominated sound editor sitting here today. Is there anything you want to ask Scott about sound? Yeah, I actually um, do. Uh, Scott, I was just wondering... um, I heard that uh, when when going into a, a film as a sound editor, you kind of uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but you might have like a, a sort of palette you have with each film, a kind of uh, different style, almost like a, a painter. Like you might use the like the red and blues for this one project. Um, and I was just wondering your kind of preparation uh, for you know sound editing uh, a movie like you know Batman vs Superman or Mad Max Fury Road. Absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, the visual stimuli really tells you, you know, predominantly what to do. But before you see a frame of the film, usually, you, you know, you read the script. And I love reading the script because I haven't seen anything. And it's sort of like a, it's an imaginary world. You know, you're sort of trying to imagine what it's going to look like. And, and it's such a great place to start thinking about sound-wise because you're not tethered to any visual stimuli yet. So that's the first step in starting to think about the different sounds and tones and characters and certain type of um, things, sort of like uh, with Batman being some of the sounds. I knew we wanted to be a little darker. And with Superman, Mm -hmm. a lot of the ambiences and things that we used were more heavenly and airy and windy and ethereal sounding, and we wanted to create like a contrast. So that's a, a pretty good example of... The, the dichotomy to try to define the characters sonically. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And that's a lot of, of the fun that, you know, we have as sound designers and sound editors is creating this world of, of uh, different sounds and atmospheres. So it's a gas. 
Yeah, and you've been doing the sound on your films yourself, haven't you, Theo? Uh, yeah, I have. Um, I, I, I was just curious how, how you uh, approached it, Scott, just because uh, in, in my own short films, uh, you know, sound is uh, a very big part of it. It sets up the, the kind of tone of it. Uh, for instance, in this one film that I'm still working out the kinks to, I had this... Uh, overlapping sound loop, which kind of made it seem a bit, uh, like, almost annoying in the track. And I was kind of like, ooh, that's interesting. But now now I'm, uh, since you explained that so well, thank you for that. Um, I, I think I uh, understand a, a bit more um, what it's like coming at it from your side. And uh, I, think, I think I'll take a look into that, kind of more uh, with each character, you know, the sound differences. That's really interesting, like ethereal. For the Superman, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's always you know struggling with his godlike nature and and the power that he had, and wondering you know where do I fit into this world on Earth? You know, it's, God, I'm so powerful, but it can be used in good ways, but obviously it can you know can turn in not so good ways, and that struggle and whatnot. So it was a lot of fun doing that. We sort of set that vibe up in Man of Steel, and then carried it forward into Batman Superman. And then, obviously, with the introduction of Batman into the new DC um, world, um, all the cool dark tones, even from the Bat Cave um, to the sound of his cape, the leathery, heavy cape, versus Superman's um, more regal, velvety-sounding cape. Um, we, we just always want to make sure distinctly that you can almost close your eyes and hear the different sounds and know what character is is you know on screen or acting or being um you know worked upon at that point so now it's really fun sound is the, the best thing that i love about it is there's no rules and that fits my personality perfectly because <laughs> i've always had uh, trouble following rules especially even if they were good rules it's like i just don't like being told exactly how to do anything so um, so sound is, is fun. It's, it's, it's just like a, a sound light, a sound laboratory. We were just talking earlier about playing in a sonic sandbox basically and having fun with it. And I'm sure with your films, you know, go out there and just, even if you just get like a cheap handheld, like a zoom recorder, just record the sounds that you feel like you need or atmospheres and collect sounds. And, uh, you can even do like little Foley stuff, even recording it in your ha- in your home. You know, if it's you know quiet enough, not mm-hmm. too loud. So, yeah, there's a world of possibilities out there, and that's so cool that you're digging into that um, in your young career, and and you're thinking about that stuff because a lot of a lot of people don't um, think about sound a lot. You know, it's sort of a secondary mm-hmm. consideration in the filmmaking process. Now, I, I I can say Theo thinks about every aspect of film. With great and approaches it all with great curiosity and wanting to learn and better himself. That's awesome. That's great. And uh, he and I have talked about this. You know, I've seen such growth in film in your own films that you've done, and I'm just so proud of you, Theo. <laughs> Thank you. Now I, I got to ask you. Now that uh, Little Men, it just opened in New York this Friday. It's opening here in L.A. this Friday. But before you went on vacation, you got to, to screen it with another public audience at Vidiot's in Santa Monica with Maggie. How did everybody yes, like? How, how did everyone like the film? 
Um, I, I think it went really, really well. Uh, I think everyone uh, had enjoyed it. Uh, I, I was so glad because so many people in the audience were really able to connect uh, with the film and actually shared their own uh, life experiences afterwards at the Q&A. And it, it, it was really touching to hear that it, you know, it, that this film portrayed a bit of what happened in their life and, you know, good memories and, you know, heartbreaking memories. Um, so I, I, I just, you know, thought that it went really, really well and it was <laughs> such a nice experience there. So for for the people that are listening now who haven't read anything on Little Men yet, briefly tell them, what. how would you describe the film? What is it about? Um, Little Men is about uh, a family moving into Brooklyn um, uh, and uh, is uh, living right above uh, a, um, uh, a, per- a person, Leonore, uh, renting a store. Uh, well, it's her store. Uh, yeah, it's her store. And um, uh, she has a uh, son. Uh, who I become best friends with while the parents uh, become best enemies, if you will, uh, over a um, land ownership. That, I think you yeah. count. Yeah, you, you, that's a pretty succinct def- description of the film. <laughs> Very succinct. So now when you read for this part of Jake Jardine and Greg Kinnear plays your father, uh, let everybody yeah. know that. And, of course, one of Ira's touchstones and good luck charms, Alfred Molina, is in the film as well. He, yeah. he was in Love is Strange. But when you read this part of Jake Jardine, what did you think about this young man and, and what you could bring to the performance to bring him to life? Um, well, I really thought that I had, you know, there was a lot of, similarities between uh, me and Jake Jardine. Uh, for one thing, uh, we're both more on the quiet side. Um, he's, he's not this extroverted, you know, you know, uh, really out there sort of person like, like my co-star, Michael Barbieri. Um, but he, he's a lot more thoughtful, um, and he, he observes uh, more, more what is around him, and he he doesn't want to uh, be solidified in anything, and he keeps going back to this uh, this kind of catchphrase. Uh, I don't know because he doesn't he doesn't want to assume anything uh, before it's actually happened. Um, we're, we also both like to express our, uh, our express ourselves through our art. Um, uh, Jake Jardine does this through his painting. He's a painter. And I do it through my filmmaking and my acting. And it's a way that we're able to uh, let out uh, our emotions and uh, how we feel at a certain point. Um, and so in that way, I think we really connect as people. Well, your performance is just absolutely fantastic. And the range of emotion that you do that you bring, Theo... You've got that very powerful scene in the third act, you and Greg Kinnear, um, where you are reduced to tears. That's always very mm-hmm. tricky for any actor to get to that emotional point, to have 
free-flowing tears, hysteria, and emotion coming that the audience is going to connect with. How hard was that for you as an actor to achieve that emotional point in your performance? Well, um, when I was looking at the script, you know, reading it over, uh, when I got the part, uh, that one scene where I do break down and start crying, I always was uh, a bit overwhelmed by and a bit scared by because I was like, how can I get to this emotional place that is written in the script? And, you know, it's a beautiful scene and it's really heartbreaking, but I was really scared if I could really bring bring it up there. And, you know, Ira said to me, it's okay, you're going to get there. It's not going to be the first scene we're going to shoot. Um, So you'll have time to really get underneath Jake, learn how he's feeling, how he's, you know, dealing with everything. And once we're there, once we're there, you'll see, you'll, you know, figure it out. And sure enough, when it got to that day, um, I was, you know, I was saying my lines, I was talking uh, in the, in the scene. And I just, you know, came to this realization, um, that, uh, nothing's going to be the same anymore. Um, but I don't want that. I want, I don't want the change to come over. I want everything to stay, you know, how it was. I mean, it was perfect how it was. Um, but, uh, there's a little voice inside my head that says, well, maybe this can't be helped. Maybe what's going on. It can't, be helped. It's just inevitable as change is. And I just started breaking down because I, I was so sad. I was sad as Theo and as Jake. And I think in that mutual, uh, that we kind of shared a mutual bond at that moment. Um, and I really was, I really was just Jake wanting nothing to change. Well, I have to tell you, Theo, having seen your short films that you have been in and having seen this, your performance as Jake is just outstanding. And that scene, I was holding my heart watching it. it, it I, my heart was breaking for, for Jake and for you that you had this much in you that you could bring out. Absolutely beautiful, Theo. Absolutely beautiful. So now, I know you're still on vacation, but before I let you go back to Fun and Frolic... Is there anything else you want, while you have Scott here, is there anything else, not often you get to talk to an Academy Award nominated sound guy. Anything else you wanted to ask him? Uh, yeah, uh, actually, uh, I do have one more thing I want to ask. Um, Scott, in, I, I heard that you worked on Mad Max Fury Road, and I, I was just curious about uh, the guitar scene, how much uh, the sound the sound editing kind of combined with, you know, your, uh, the music. Um, and I was, you know, just wondering how that was and how largely the two influenced each other and if you were kind of working together or if it was kind of a mixed match of a bunch of different things. It was, a, you know, just like the film, the film was such a wild <laughs> affair and, and all of us creatively sort of approached it. It was sort of like a unique opportunity to be, bombastic <laughs> you know because <laughs> usually you know that's not a good uh, a good way to approach things but um the spirit of it is tom holkenberg uh junkie xl is the composer and um that character is called the doof warrior the, you're talking about the guy on the front of the truck right yeah he's playing the guitar yeah exactly um so i think 
uh, Tom hired a guitar player to play all those wild parts. I don't know that gentleman's name. But then Tom came in and redid a lot of it. And so it's a combination of uh, the two different guitar recordings. But it's so cool and so wild, and that character is, is just, I mean, man, as soon as you see him, a smile comes on your face. It's like, how cool is that? And it's so funny until we came to the realization that it's sort of like even back in the Revolutionary War where, you know, in the front line of the battle troops was the drummer and the fife player, you know, leading the troops. Yeah. And so that's that that's sort of like what his job was, the doof warrior. And um, so really, I didn't have much to do with that guitar, the sound of that guitar. But as far as all the raging engines and, and all the action elements and things like that, um, that movie has a lot of sonic energy popping off the screen, as, as you heard. It's, uh, it's pr- pretty much wall-to-wall, except for a couple of really cool, quiet scenes. But um, no, it was, it was a gas working with uh, Tom Holkenberg. And he actually was um, one of the composers on Batman vs. Superman as well. Okay. He and Hans Zimmer did that, and he is going to do the score for Justice League. So I get to work with him yet again, and Tom is the coolest guy, the sweetest guy, and super talented. He plays so many different instruments, and he's such a, a wonderful and original composer. So really looking forward to that. Well, my my friend, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let you go so you can go back to vacation fun. I'm gonna see you soon. I know. We have we have many things to talk about and Super 8 filmmaking. Yes, all of that. All of that. Well, thank you so much, Theo. And everybody needs thank to go and see Little Men when it opens wider and here in L.A. And then weeks after that, it is fabulous. Theo is fabulous. And people can find your short films on Vimeo, can't they? Yes, if you just type in my name, they should be there. Very cool. I've seen them all. Trust me, I know it's there. Thank you, Theo, and I'll talk to you soon. Theo, it's great to meet you, and congratulations. Sounds like a great movie. I can't wait to see it. I'll definitely check it out. Thank you so much. You Thank bet. you. Yep. Really nice meeting you, too. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye, Theo. And that was the young Theo Taplitz. Love it. Hard to believe. The new generation of filmmakers. It, God obser- bless them. I'll tell you. Observant. Yeah. Inquisitive. Totally. Yeah. Very much so. He's a sponge. <laughs> He's like... Before the show, I was telling you, you know, Ira was letting him walk around the set, and he... Things that he was relating to me that he observed, uh, just picking things up. He, that's, the way it, that's the way it has to be, you know? It's like learn from people that, you know, know the best. So how have... So over the years, as I look at some of some of the collection of your past here... You know, Back to the Future, Bad Girls, Summersby, King Ralph, variety of genres of yes. films. How did you, what was your learning process through the world of sound that enabled you to tackle all these different films, all these different moods, all these different ambient situations that bring you up to the high octane adrenaline? nuanced adrenaline that you're doing now well that's the beauty of you know there's a first time for everything and and um variety is the spice of life and that's the thing i love about working in film and sound is i get to work with different filmmakers you know all the time and working with different people on different kind of films and 
actually the first thing that I actually um, started editing on SoundWise was cartoons. When I first started as a young sound editor, we did some Hanna-Barbera overflow work. Um, their sound department was um, was bustling. And so um, that's how I cut my teeth. And I thought, wow, this is so cool because creatively, I wasn't dealing with the real world at all. You know, it's like, what kind of goofy, cool sound can I put for this action where this guy winds up and throws this guy mm-hmm. across the room? And so in that, it was very freeing uh, on a creative level. And then technically, it it trained me because you have to synchronize all these sounds. It taught me the the, the skill of synchronization, which is a basic part of being a sound editor. Mm-hmm. But along with that, I was getting a good dose of creative freedom and, and thinking outside of the box. And that that's the main thing that you carry from film to film. And that's the, the fun of it. After working on a film like Batman Superman, I love working on a great drama with, you know, really deep, you know, character development mm-hmm. and, and uh, quiet atmospheres and and nuanced sounds. Um, working on a film like Road to Perdition was just such a treat for me. Um, Sam Mendes is, is just such a, a genius director. And visually, I mean, that whole movie um, spiritually looks like a Rembrandt. The yeah. lighting, you know, it's just like dark with the yellows and golds and browns and blacks and mm-hmm. things. And, and that influences you... Um, sonically, you know, just as far as the tones. And he wanted it to be very delicate and, and singular sounds and focus microscopically on certain sounds only in the pursuit of telling the story. He wasn't really interested in so much hearing everything that you see on camera. He really, you know, wanted to focus. And we spent a lot of time on that. So from su- small, subtle sounds of, like we were talking before the show, of the dripping of the water off of this casket at an Irish mm-hmm. wedding, and all you're focusing on is this dripping in a room full of people talking and drinking and having a good time to um, have that audio focus. I love that kind of stuff. And it, it's actually, in some ways, even harder to do than mm-hmm. the big um, action films mm-hmm. because they're so loud and, you know, big big loud explosions or car engines revving and crashes and things like that. It's really cool to be able to um, focus on really delicate and, mm-hmm. uh, and atmospherically too. Yeah. In Batman, Superman or uh, big action films, you don't have a lot of opportunity to hear atmospheres because usually there's a lot of really big music and a lot of big sound effects. And mm-hmm. you can go like, you know, 10, 20 minutes in a movie and not even really hear any background sounds, right. you know? So, and then in comedies, those are fun too. That's an art, you know, the timing of when you hear a certain sound in time with the dialogue and um, the different sounds. I worked on uh, History of the World Part 1 with Mel Brooks and <laughs> and and what a gas it was to work with him. I mean, you had to be really careful. He's like, get that sound, out of, sound effect out of there. It's stepping on my joke, you know? It's like, <laughs> get rid of that thing, you know? So um, they're just really cool, unique challenges uh, in all these um, endeavors and the different types of films that we work on. And, and that's that's what keeps things interesting and fun for me. How beneficial is it to you for the creative process to be with a group of collaborators at, like those at Formosa Group where you guys are at each other's disposal to bounce ideas, to talk, to discuss? Is that, you know, how different and more better is that than studio life, say? I absolutely love it. And you brought up a good thing. Nowadays, um, 
with the technology and the internet, people are working on films like out of their homes. Like there's a crew, right. there's dialogue editor working over in this building or their home, the sound effects designers over here. And we're all just exchanging files and going back, trading work back and forth. And again, I think it's just from my history. I love to work with my crew and actually coming to Formosa, um, some of the supervisors are perfectly happy working in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I told Bob Rosenthal, the president, when you know we were talking about working together and me coming to Formosa, I said, I said, I hope you have a space where my whole crew can be together. And he said, well, it might be sort of difficult, you know, but let's work on that. And, and uh, hence, we ended up in the old uh, POP building in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And um, he knocked a, a few walls down and created an environment for, for me and my crew. And we can all be together um, during the large spots of uh, Batman Superman. And we had like nine, I had nine editors and we were all in that same building. And it's amazing the collaboration of being able to, if you're in your own home or different places, you tend not to communicate as much. Right. And in this endeavor, you know, if you get up to get a cup of coffee or go to the bathroom and you walk into someone's room and say, hey, what are you working on? Or, or you'll drag someone into your room. It's like, hey, come listen to this. I've, been, I've spent like a couple hours on this. I'm, I think I'm losing my perspective. What do you think? Mm-hmm. You start exchanging ideas and collaborating and, and taking other people's ideas and combining them with yours. And it, it creates an energy too. And it creates a, a sense of crew and family all working together. It might sound corny, but to me it's important. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't, you know, thank God, you know, again, variety is the spice of life. And if we were all the same, life would be boring. But I can't relate to um, uh, many supervisors that just their crews all over the place. And I'm sure they do communicate when they need to and when it's critical and they have their own style of working. But I love working with my crew. It is so much fun. And uh, so a lot of times, you know, Typically, you're looking for um, sound artists that are super talented. My thing is super talented and fun to be with and Mm -hmm. someone that you can (laughs) hang with for nine or ten hours a day. You know, it's really important. But as a crew, we we have as much fun as we can. There's not a lot of time for too much frivolity. But, you know, we got a little bit of fun amongst all the hard work. So. You know, and one thing I do want to say is, you know, Theo and I mentioned videots and, you know, I'm sitting here with my personal collection of videotapes. Anybody who wants to check out the history of Scott Hecker's work, you can actually go to videots at 3rd and Pico in Santa Monica and rent almost all, if not all of the titles that you have worked on through your career. Very cool. Very cool. Those are disappearing. We had a great mom and pop shop in Redondo Beach where I live. What a cool place. It was huge. They had interesting stuff. They had foreign films, documentaries, and old films, and it's sadly closing. I was just, like, heartbroken, you know, that it's just like my favorite CD stores, you know, the mom-and-pop yep. stuff. It's all it's all closing down, so. Yep. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We're, get, we're getting the marker. Are we out of time, Brian? We're out of time. Oh, we'll have to do this again. I didn't even get to talk to you about Atmos. Oh, man. And the difference between editing Atmos for theater and Atmos for home. Well, let's have a two-hour program. I'm ready. Jeez. (laughs) I wish we could. Brian would do it. (laughs) He's not even paying attention. (laughs) Oh, that was fun. We will definitely have to do it again. Part two. Oh. Part two. I would love it. We were just dipping into things here. 
it's it's right? the Sonic Toolbox is vast. Absolutely, it is vast, Scott. Endless I possibilities. I can't thank you enough. Thank this you. Is, this thank has been you. a real joy. A whole it's show. Of, a whole show of tech talk. It's great, and it's it actually wasn't too technical. No. No, I don't really. I'm I'm not even that interested in the technical part, to be honest with okay, you. I mean, fine. it's interesting, you know, the technical tools, but I love talking about the creativity and the process and collaborating and yeah. all the different styles and whatnot. So, well, good. You. Then you're coming back again. Well, cool. No Let question. All right, and that's all the time we have today. Thank you to Scott. Thank you to my friend Theo Taplitz. And I'll be back here next week at 11 o'clock. And you can hear a rebroadcast of this. It'll be up this afternoon on my website, tomorrow on iTunes. And we'll have the video sometime later this week for you. So until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 